We usually teach through books of the Bible here, and that's we've been doing that for 17, 18 years. But last couple of weeks and uh, through the end of this month, we're just doing a little series, kind of marking out. Sometimes it's good to revisit the basic things in our faith and remind us of why we do what we do. Sometimes we just get on autopilot, at least I do, and uh, we need to be reminded that we do have a call and an instruction from God um, to reach out to this lost and dying world, and, and we're going to explore a little bit about that this morning. We're not going to get through the entire outline lest you look at this outline and go, wow, how's he going to do that? We'll just get through the first couple points, and then we'll pick it up again uh, next week. It's been a blessing to have my brother-in-law and sister here this week, and uh, they're going to be going down to Carmel today after the service and spend a couple of days, and then I'll be heading back on Thursday or Friday, I think, back to Pennsylvania, where it's nice and cold now. It was actually warmer back there than it was out here before they came out. It was in the 60s and 70s back there, and we were in the 40s, so, uh, but it's kind of reversed now. Um, but as we look to uh, God's Word this morning, remember last week we started this little series on Make Your Mark, and we talked last week about Psalm 1. And I thought for the new year, uh, we, we taught a message how to get started right in 2016. And if you didn't get that message, there's some there on the back table, or they can make you one. But we really believe that if you don't start with a strong foundation, uh, the Bible tells us that that foundation that we need to start on... Uh, doesn't belonging to a particular, doesn't mean you belong to a particular church or a particular denomination. Uh, it doesn't, that foundation isn't found in good deeds or good works that we try to do in our lifetime. Um, that foundation isn't even found in our own personal faith in something. You talk to some people and they say, well, I have faith. It's like, okay. Um, but it depends on what that faith is in. And that foundation needs to be in none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and his work on Calvary that he has done for us. And so last week we began this little series and we looked in Psalm 1 at at, at basically three points. The first one was the way of the righteous. And uh, the second one was the way of the wicked. And we realized that in this world there's only two classes of people. The wicked and the righteous. There's no gray area. There's nobody in between those two, according to God's word. And he says, the way of the righteous are those who have put their faith and trust in Christ and God and uh, trust in him for their salvation. The way of the wicked trust in themselves, their good works. And then we looked at verse 6 in Psalm 1 where it talks about the end of both ways. One of those groups is going to end up in heaven. One of those groups is going to end up in an eternal lake of fire called hell. And we don't hear a lot of preachers preach on that today, but we talked a little bit about that last week. You can only go one of two places, heaven or hell. There's no in-between. There's no another group that you can belong to. And God, in his graciousness, showed us the way to heaven through Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we have a cross. That's why we believe that Christ is the only way of salvation. And the Bible says that the righteous will endure because they're known by God. Not because they're good people, not because they belong to some church, not because they come every Sunday. That, that doesn't get you uh, credit with God. The wicked, on the other hand, in their wicked ways, will ultimately perish 
and come under the condemnation of God and the eternal judgment of God. And so once you understand that you have to build on the right foundation, well, the next step is, well, how do we do that? How do we build ministry? How do we effectively make disciples? And that's what I want to share with you this morning and next week. Some biblical principles from Matthew chapter 10. You can turn there in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 10. Biblical principles for effective ministry. You know, we don't want to just do ministry to do ministry. That's what I call a waste of time. Waste of your time, waste of my time, waste of everybody's time. We want to do ministry that's based on biblical principles so that it's effective. There's tons of churches that have tons of programs, but none of them are really effective. (laughs) And so you have to stop and you have to realize what we want to do, not only as a church, but as individual believers. What does God want me to do? What does God want you to do? And that's really the message that we have today and next week. And so remember, Matthew, we haven't been in Matthew for a long time. We went through the whole gospel for several years. And uh, you can get those messages online. But Matthew's message is basically this, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He's king. He's God in human flesh. He's the promised king, the savior, the deliverer that God has been talking about all these years. And he came to fulfill, the Bible says, the promises. And he did fulfill the promises and the covenants of the Old Testament. And he came to redeem the world of which we are a part of. So look at Matthew chapter 10 along with me and we'll read this text. You can follow along in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 10. I'll pick up there in verse 5. Matthew chapter 10 beginning in verse 5. And this is where Jesus appoints his, not only appoints his 12 apostles, but he sends them out. But we're going to pick up where he sends them out. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. Here's what he said. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. And the, the chapter continues. And just to break this chapter up for you, it's, it's outlined pretty simple. Verses 5 through 15 deal with really the basic principles of ministry. The basic principles of ministry. And then you jump down to verses 16 and 23, and it talks to the reaction that people have to ministry. Just because you're doing ministry doesn't mean that everybody's going to respond favorably to you. 
Sometimes they respond unfavorably. And then verses 24 to 42, through the rest of the chapter there, it really talks about the cost of ministry. We're just looking at the first section today, but that kind of gives you an idea of what Matthew is talking about. Now remember, the original apostles were really the original folks that Jesus sent out. They were missionaries. He trained them up. He sent them forth to preach the gospel to a world that was under the judgment of God. And he knew that the harvest would be plenty, but he knew that he didn't have a lot of workers. We've heard that, right? The harvest is plenty, the workers are few. That's still true today, by the way. We're always looking for people that want to help out in some form or fashion. So the instruction Jesus gave to the apostles at this time was not meant to be a blanket statement for the whole church, but it was meant to be just for them at that time. It was kind of a short-term mission work, you might think about it that way. Jesus was gathering his men together, and he said, okay, I'm going to train you up, and I'm going to send you out, and this is basically your first test. (laughs) I'm going to send you out and see what you caught from my teaching. And so at this time, he sent them out in their own country. But what we're going to talk about, some of the principles in this week and next week, they apply to the church as well. So we can apply what he taught, even his apostles at the time. And so we have to remember that we always want to teach the Word of God in its context. So some of these specifics were restricted to a given time and a given situation, whereas the principles that we're going to look at are kind of broad-based. They cover a wide area. The problem today with Christianity in the world, the problem with the church even today, is there's so many people claiming to represent Christ, but a lot of them are just after your money. Just turn on the TV. You have all these word of faith people that are trying to teach you all this stuff, and you know it's all about popularity. It's all about trying to buy their next Learjet, how to best fund their ministry. And so the world looks at that and says, "Ah, you know, Jesus, I don't want any part of that. And yet there's a segment of the church that's a true church that it's left up to us really to go out to a a lost and dying world and say, wait a minute, I know you've seen this, but here's the real deal. (laughs) Here's what it really looks like to be a Christian. And so Christ sends these folks out with some basic training But these weren't, you know, this wasn't the top rung of society, these motley crew of guys that Jesus called his disciples. I mean, they were kind of the bottom of the barrel. And so their mission, even though they didn't have qualifications, I don't think they would have been hired by any church today. What's your qualification? Well, I'm a fisherman. You want to be a pastor? You want to be an elder? You want to be, wait a minute. I'm a tax gatherer. (laughs) You're definitely not here, you know. It's like hiring an IRS agent to be your pastor or something. Why would you ever do that, you know? What's their qualification? And so the mission that that these apostles were given by Christ, even though they didn't have the qualifications to change the world, that's exactly what they were called to do. 
And it wasn't because they were some important group of people. It's because God made them and God called them and God took them under the wing of Christ through that process of training. And Jesus molded them and made them into the person that he wanted them to be. Not necessarily the person that they wanted to be. And so this is Jesus' first training mission for them. And they were to go out. Their motive, you know, was because the world was under judgment. Just as it is today. That should motivate us, beloved, to leave this, these four walls, the comfortable chair and all that, and go out into a lost and dying world and be able to stand up for Christ and be able to proclaim the gospel in a bold way. I mean, today we live in a society where if you say anything about Christ, you're kind of beaten down and discounted and thrown to the side. I've learned that the hard way. And it's true. But that doesn't mean you stop proclaiming what you know to be true according to the word of God. You have to stand up for truth. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.11 that his motivation was really their motivation. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why do we do what we do? Why do we have a conference here called a NorCal conference that's an evangelism training conference? And why are we hosting that? Why do we think that's important? Because we want to persuade men to come to Christ. Because we know if they're not persuaded to come to Christ, they'll be lost forever in all of eternal hell. And that should weigh heavy on our hearts. And so beginning here in verse 5, the Lord begins to instruct his disciples for this short-term mission. And he basically, you can take these principles and apply them to us as well. And the mission was basically twofold. It was for the sake of the lost. He wanted them to go out and share the gospel and see people come to Christ, to follow Christ. But he also understood that it was for their own good as well. Do you ever wonder why Jesus saved us and left us here? I mean, if I was God, if I was going to save some people, I would just take them right to heaven because a lot of us cause more damage down here than we do good for the Lord. So sometimes, you know, if I was God, I would just save you and you would be like just in heaven. But he doesn't. He leaves us here. Why? It's for our own good. It's to mold us, to shape us, the Bible says, into the image of Christ. And so he was instructing his disciples how to reproduce themselves. And so the first thing we see here in verse 5, he says, These this 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them. You have a divine commission here. This is Christ calling his disciples to task, to do what he requires them to do. See, these, you have to understand, these apostles were not volunteers. <laughs> they were not volunteers. They were willing to go, but they were commissioned. I mean, I would not... In a million years, when I was in high school, if you want to come up to me and said, you know what, I think you're going to be a pastor one day. I would say, you're nuts. I'm going to be a police officer. I'm going to go in a branch of the military. I'm going to get some training, criminology. That's what I want to do. But what happened with that dream? What happened with that agenda? What happened with that plan? Well, Christ had a different purpose. Christ had a different plan. He called me. See, and, and they're like, we're all called as believers. Jeremiah 1 5, 5 says this, he's speaking of the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord said, Before I formed you, I ordained you. Don't ever think that you don't have a purpose in life. 
Don't ever think that you've got to read some book on the purpose-driven life to find your purpose. God has a purpose for you. It's to serve him with all your heart. The disciples were sovereignly called by God. They were under orders, you might say. Uh, Mark 6, 4 is a comparative passage in the Gospel of Mark. And it tells us that Jesus sent them out two by two. There's a reason for that. He knew they were going to come under flack. And they needed support of each other. They could strengthen one another. They can encourage one another while they're going out into this hostile world and sharing the message of Christ. Who, which, by the way, was not very well received at the time. And so for a few weeks, the apostles were official ambassadors for Christ. He trained them a little bit and he said, okay, this is your chance go. And like the apostle Paul, they were given the ministry as a stewardship. And that's what ministry is. This isn't my ministry. It isn't your ministry. It's a ministry that God entrusts to us. And we're to do our best in the stewardship of that ministry. Sometimes we do better than other times. But you know what? Overall, in the end, what do we want to hear from the Lord? Well done, right? Good and faithful servant. That's the goal. And so it was such a responsibility, such a burden. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 says this. Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. In other words, I am totally undone as a Christian if I do not preach the gospel of Christ. Trust me, there's a lot of things that I enjoy doing. I worked for a picture framing company for several years and loved that. Able to form and fashion picture frames. And it was just a fun job. The owner was a Christian, treated me just incredible pay rates. It was great. Worked for the DA's office. That was a fun job. Enjoyed that. Did a lot of different stuff. But you know what? God said, I want you to do this. I've called you to do this. And woe to you if you don't do it. I'm reminded of that every time the grandkids come. Crystal and Will say, you know, why don't you move to Hawaii? That'd be sweet. That'd be nice. Well, that's not what God's called me to do. God has called me here at this place at this time. Whether he'll call me here still next year, I don't know. That's up to God. And that's where faith comes in each day, trusting him. So this is a stewardship. And it was a direct commission that God called them through Christ. They received this commission directly by the Lord. He told them, you follow me. You do this. You go out and you do that. They didn't have to put out a fleece. They didn't have to pray about it. The Lord didn't have to show them signs. He was there with them. And he said, you know what? Here's what you're going to do. You guys, I've trained you. Now now it's your chance to go out. People ask today, how do you know if God is calling you into ministry? Even within the church, whether it's full-time ministry or not, it's in the church. How do you know what God is calling you to do? There's a couple different things that I want to share with you. Practical. How do you know what God wants you to do as far as ministry goes? Basically, first of all, follow your desire. God gives you desires. 1 Timothy 3.1 says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires or desires to the office of overseer or pastor or elder, he desires a noble task. 
Sometimes it's funny. People come up. We have a small church here, and we have a couple elders. And people say, why don't you have more elders? I always look around. I go, I don't see a line. What do you mean? It's not my job to go out into the congregation and say, oh, you know, you own a business. I think you'd make a good elder. Oh, you're good in finance. I think you'd make a good elder. That's not my job. That's not the elder's job. That's God's job. That's something that God puts on your heart. He gives you that desire. That's why when we make ministry needs known in this church, it's not a guilt trip. We're not up here trying to make you feel guilty so you serve somewhere because we need more Sunday school workers or we need more nursery workers. I mean, that would be the worst possible scenario to have somebody in the nursery that doesn't like kids, but they're just doing it because they feel guilty. I mean, talk about pulling your hair out. Man, that, it wouldn't be good for them. It wouldn't be good for the kids. It wouldn't be good for our church. So the Bible implies that men will desire the office of pastor, the office of elder, or will desire a certain ministry. Maybe God's moving in your heart and giving you a desire for a ministry in a certain way. And maybe you're sitting on it. I don't know. You know, I don't know what they would say if they don't have this ministry, so I guess they don't want it. No, that's not true. If God puts it on your heart and you're part of this church and it's a biblical ministry, it's something that we can go to the Bible and say, yeah, this is something that we would support. Then we would get behind you 100% because God has given you a desire to serve. God puts that same desire for ministry into our hearts today. Well, secondly, not only do you have a desire to serve, but also there's a process of confirmation. All right? Confirmation by the church. Um, Over the years, I've talked to a lot of guys that say, hey, I feel called to preach. And you hear them preach, and you realize... You know, I'm not tell you this, but I don't know if you're called to preach. There's no confirmation there. Um, you need a confirmation from the people around you. That's what Paul was alluding to in, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.14, when he says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. What does that mean? A group in the church looked at somebody and said, you know what? You have a certain gifting. You need to be using that for the Lord. Do you have that desire? Well, sure. Well, you know what? We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to affirm that. And we're going to help you out. We're going to get you equipped so that you can serve. See, that's what a biblical church does. But it has to come from that desire you know, and it has to lead to the confirmation. And then also, the third thing is, is there an open door to serve? 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul says, For a great door, an effectual uh, a door is opened unto me. See, you need to determine if you have the desire and you see the confirmation, is there an opportunity to minister? See, it's important to understand that God you know, wants to use you in the body of Christ. I talked to one gentleman who visited our our church. He doesn't even live in the area anymore. But after he came to one service, and after a week, I I met with him for for lunch, and we sat down, and he said, well, when can I preach? I said, what? (laughs) Well, God's gifted me to preach. 
And he sent me to your church and I'm going to start preaching. I said, well, let's pray about that. (laughs) Maybe, you know, we do have a, a membership class to kind of get to know us a little bit better. And we get to know you a little bit better. And, oh, I don't need that stuff. I, you know, I just need, I'm called to preach. I need to preach. I was like, well, you know, I got news for you. God's called me to preach too. And I'm here and I'm preaching and, you know, not that there may not be opportunities for you to preach, but I don't know what you're thinking, but it's not going to be every Sunday because if that were to take place, I wouldn't be fulfilling my calling. So you're telling me I can't preach in your church. Not next week, probably not next month. I didn't say this, but in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, with your attitude, never. But I didn't say that. And pretty soon he moved on to another church. See, you have to have that. You have to have the desire. You have to have the confirmation. And is there an open door? And so this is the command of Christ. And look at what he says here in verse 5. He says, he sent them out instructing them or commanding them. <clears throat> that's the idea. That's the, the, the original language there behind that word instructing. Basically, there's a lot of different um, ideas here going on in this word. You can look at it in a military sense because it's used that way to describe a superior giving an order to an inferior. It's a command. He wasn't saying, hey, apostles, you know what? If you feel like it, you might want to go out there. No. This was a command from our Lord. It's a statement that requires obedience. It's not an optional thing. In the legal sense, it was used in summoning somebody to court. You know, when I worked with the DA's office, I was on the subpoena thing, and I went out and gave people subpoenas. And I would say, you're demanded to be in court on this date, and you'd give them the paper. And they were officially served, and if they didn't show up, they would be arrested. Not by me, but by somebody with a gun. They didn't give me a gun. They just gave me some pepper spray, you know. But anyway, I still had a badge, and I thought that was pretty cool. But they were bound by the legal jurisdiction to come to court because they had that, that legal order, that command. Ethically, it's used, this word of commanding is used to speak of teachings of morals and ethics. When you learn what is ethically right, basically the understanding is you're bound to obey it. You're bound to obey it. It's also used in a medical sense. It's used in the sense of a doctor's prescription for a patient. See, each of those kind of says there's a response needed here. If you go to the doctor and they say, hey, you need this. Here's the prescription. What are they telling you? They're not really suggesting. They're telling you, go and get this medication and start taking it like the prescription says. You know, if you call the doctor two weeks later, say, hey, I'm still not feeling good. Well, did you take the prescription? Well, no, I didn't take it. I didn't feel like taking it. You know, your your doctor's not going to have some good words for you. Trust me. Well, you need to take the prescription I gave you. You need to do that. You know, and they'll become more insistent on it. In the New Testament, it's, it's used, this word is used in Luke 5.14 to command an evil spirit to come out of a man. Uh, in, 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 that's in 8.29. In Luke 5.14, it's used to instruct a leper. 
It's in, used to instruct Jairus to command his uh, the disciples in 921 of the Gospel of Luke. It's used all over the place. But it's always a command. And you know, more than anything, God wants your obedience, beloved. He wants your obedience. He doesn't want you to kind of try to figure out some big... He just wants you to obey day to day, moment by moment. More than anything, that's what he desires from you, from me. And that's why it's so important when we're, we come to ministry, when the apostles were going out... They weren't going out as some kind of prima donna. I'm going to do my own thing. No. You know, you see sometimes in ministry people like that. Sometimes there are even pastors like that. You know, they think somehow that their their goal on Sunday morning is to be the the, the chef and make this incredible meal for everybody. So they got to come up with all this stuff. We're not the chef. I'm just the waiter. I'm just simply bringing the food to the table. And hopefully I don't mess it up in the process. Because God's word is the authority, not man's word. And that's why Paul says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. We're all under that same commission, that divine commission by the Lord to obey his call, to go out and to present to the world, which is lost and dying under the judgment of God, we're called to present the gospel of Christ. You know, I'm under no delusion here. Not every believer is called to be a preacher or a teacher or a pastor or even a missionary. But every believer is called to be Christ's representative, to be Christ's witness to a lost and dying world. That's what Matthew 28, 19 says. Jesus Christ has no followers who are not under his order of the Great Commission. When he says, make disciples of what? All nations. That's why we have missionaries in Thailand and India. Papua New Guinea. Because it's all nations. And so you, you have to sense that call from Lord. See, we don't determine our own destiny as children of God. We don't mark out our own path. God does it for us. We're just called to simply obey. These are divine orders. And we have to put everything under that. Everything is subservient to the command that God has given us. Um, all of us have been commissioned in some sense, some officially, but all of us are bound by Christ's call to represent him in this world. He's committed. The believer is committed to obeying the word of God. Well, secondly, what do we see here in verses 5 and 6? He says, he goes on, he says, not only have I given you a divine commission, but he gives them an objective, objective here. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, what in the world is Jesus ta- telling these guys? To, he's telling them not to go to certain places? That'd be like me saying, hey, we want you to go out and win the lost. But you know what? I don't want you going down to El Camino. I want you to go over on Rosedale. You'd probably look at me like, what? Are you nuts? See, the disciples were not to go near the Gentiles or the Samaritans. 
You say, wow, is that, what is that, racist? What, what's going on there? See, at this particular time, Jesus was limiting the gospel to a specific place and a specific people. It wasn't a permanent command. He wasn't saying never go to the Gentiles or never go to the Samaritans. But it really illustrates the way God gives a central focus and a central purpose and a very clear and limited objective. That's why I appreciate so much some of the gentlemen that, that come to our church. You know, it's, 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 it's so wonderful. It's fun to sit in an elders meeting. And when we start talking about something, Bob Morata goes, okay, well, what's the objective here? It's like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, I don't know, I'm just throwing stuff out on the table. But okay, what's the objective? And he'll draw it back and he'll look. Or Ken will say, well, how does this fit here? Or John, whoever. I mean, you know, we, we work together as a team. And see, some of us don't think that way. But some of you do. Because God has blessed you with that kind of thinking. And so here Jesus is telling them, you know what? I'm giving you a specific plan, a specific purpose. See, the ministry isn't a place for self-styled messiahs. <laughs> it's not a place for somebody just to build up their own little kingdom. That's not what we're about here. There's a lot of people that want to win the world and win it now. And boy, they're just pulling out all the stops and they're just going full bore. And it's so sad to see because their ministry so many times is, you know, the, 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 the width of a, a football field, but it's a quarter inch deep. And they think somehow they're going to reach the world. That's not what Christ tells us to do. Well, what does this relate to here regarding the, the Gentiles? I mean, the Lord wants us to have focus in ministry, but what is he saying here specifically? Go nowhere among the Gentiles. It's interesting because if you look back a couple chapters in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 12, when Jesus entered Capernaum, he was approached by a centurion Gentile whose servant was sick. He was a Roman soldier. He was over the command of a hundred men, and he came, came to Jesus and If you read that in verses 5 to 12 there, Matthew chapter 8, you can really see where Jesus brought not only healing to that Gentile servant, but also salvation to his whole household. And then Jesus said this in verses 11 to 12, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom, Jewish people, shall be cast out. Wow. See, the Lord, even though he stated this to his apostles, he made it clear that he wanted to reach the Gentiles. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it tells us that Jerusalem will carry this gospel message to all nations. That's why they went to the Jews first, to give them the opportunity. But in Matthew, Mark, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So you have to say, well, he's telling them not to do this, but he already did it. He went out and reached out to Gentiles. He also reached out to Samaritans. I mean, do you know who the Samaritans were? The Samaritans were like a crossbreed. I mean, um, they, were, they, were, they were someone who was mixed Jew-Gentile. 
And the Jewish people just did not get along with them at all. They were considered unclean. And it was an unforgivable crime that they would intermarry, that a Jewish person would intermarry with a a Gentile person and create this havoc. But isn't that interesting? Because in John chapter 5, Jesus, when he's talking with the woman at the well, the first person recorded in Scripture to whom Jesus announced that he was the Messiah was a Samaritan woman. By the way, she had many husbands. And the husband she was living with at the time, or the man she was living with at the time, was not her husband. So she was not a very nice lady, you might say. But Jesus still reached out to her. And then you think of the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus actually used a Samaritan in one of his illustrations, in his parable. And the Samaritans did a lot of things to really turn the Jews against them, historically. 20 years before the time of Christ, the first century historian Josephus tells us that the Samaritans went into the temple in the middle of the night during the Passover and they threw dead man's bones over the altar. (laughs) I mean, that's a big deal. When you have a temple and you have Jews going there to worship and there's a holy, holy, boy, that's a big deal. And so they didn't help themselves with the Jews. They were kind of antagonistic. But Christ still reached out to them. But he says here that he wants to have their ministry in verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who's that? Israel. The Israelites. I mean, if you've read any scripture at all, you understand that Israel has a special place in God's heart. The Jews were God's sovereign chosen people. The covenants, the promises, and the law were all given to them. Now, granted, they blew it. (laughs) Okay, big time. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. But according to God's plan, they were to be offered the kingdom first. They were to be offered heaven first. They were to be offered salvation first. That's why John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 came and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That meant it was imminent, it was available. And Jesus came and said the same thing. And now here's Jesus commanding these disciples to give people the same message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you stop and think about it, had the Jewish nation embraced the Messiah at the time, they would have really come together around this, but they didn't. They saw him as a threat. John chapter 4 says that salvation is of the Jews. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that it's only for them, but it means that it comes through them. Jesus himself was what? Jewish. Jerusalem was to be where the nations came to see the Messiah. It, It was the place for the launching point of all evangelism to take place. The disciples were to go to the people of Israel first. And there's a lot of reasons for that, one being the apostles' background. I mean, they were hardly equipped to reach their own people, let alone Gentiles and Samaritans. And so Jesus was really protecting them in a way. He's like, hey, okay, we've got to reach the whole world, but you know what, apostles? Don't worry about the Gentiles. Don't worry about the Samaritans. Just go to the Jews because that's who you are. And they will at least receive you whether they'll listen to your message or not 
that's still yet to be heard. But for the most part, these men were not equipped to go to the Samaritans or the Gentiles. It's not that God had anything against them. He was protecting his apostles. And that's what you do for people that are going to ministry, right? I mean, when someone says, hey, you know, maybe I'm thinking of, you know, I'd like to help teach Bible study or whatever. I don't just say, okay, yeah, great, go for it. Wednesday night, you got the next 10 nights, next 10 weeks. I I would never do that to somebody. Why? You're setting them up for failure. What would you do? You take them alongside and say, well, what what do you want to study? What do you want to teach? What what, do you have an outline? And you walk them through it. And then you you give them a trial balloon. You say, okay, you know what? Let's let's start here. And you, you, you exercise your gift there. And it doesn't matter whether it's teaching or children's ministry or whatever. I mean, even, even over in Fellowship Hall, all the ladies that get together and, and men that cook every week for the food after church. You know, when someone new comes and says, oh, I want to be part of that. They don't say, yeah, have at it. We get a vacation. Yeah, no, they take them alongside them. They show them where everything is. Maybe they'll, they'll do it the first couple times with them to encourage them. Why? Because they want them to succeed. And so that's what Jesus' commission here is all about. It's a divine commission, but he also keeps that objective central. There's nothing more frustrating than being part of a ministry that doesn't have an objective. That doesn't understand what they're about. It's kind of throwing mud at the wall. You know, and just trying to Please everyone all the time, and hopefully nobody gets upset. There's very few people that do anything well. So if you do one thing well, you're ahead of the game. And you know, for some of us, that's hard to practice. That's hard to focus on. I'm constantly, every week, saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Limiting, limiting, constantly saying, okay, I don't, you know, I don't know if you want me over there fixing that faucet today in the fellowship hall. You probably don't because I don't have anything for Sunday yet. So maybe I should just spend time here and pray that somehow the faucet gets fixed. Or I'll call Ken or I'll call Bob or whatever. Or we'll hire a plumber and get it fixed. You know, it's hard for me to stay focused sometimes. And it's good to have men around you that say, stay focused. <laughs> If you take care of the depth of your ministry, God says he'll take care of the breadth of it. That's so important. Don't get lost. Don't fall into the trap of just coming to church. Just coming to church is not necessarily a good thing. You should be coming here on a given Sunday to say, how can I serve the body of Christ? How can I make somebody else's life better? Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a prayer with somebody. Maybe it's, it's helping out in a certain area of ministry. Okay, don't think you have to wait for someone to come and ask you because you know what? More than likely, that time will never come. If God has blessed you and gifted you, which he has, if you're his child, he's gifted all of us. And, and thank God we're not all gifted alike. We're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different giftings. And yet he's called us together to be one to serve him right here in Redwood City in this small little church to reach out to a lost and dying world that some may be saved. That's what God has called us to do. Do one thing and do it well.
That's what Jesus clearly did in his ministry. Well, the last thing here we'll share with this morning, and then we'll close, is in verse 7, he gives them the message. They have their commissioning, they have their objective, and now Jesus says, here's what I need you to say. He says in verse 7, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Pretty simple message. I mean, it would be hard to kind of mess that up. It's not long. I mean, it's pretty much what John the Baptist said, right? And he calls us to declare this message. Well, what does that message mean? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, first of all, think about conversion. Think about entering the kingdom. And then think about when you live out the kingdom in your daily life. Eventually, the kingdom, the Bible says, will come here on earth. Christ will set up his kingdom here on earth, and we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. That's what the Bible says. It's amazing. So Jesus taught his disciples that he is Lord and that everyone needs to submit and obey to him. And after his resurrection, Jesus teaches them things pertaining to the kingdom. Here's what's going to happen. Here's a little preview of what's going to happen he's talking to them about. It's so important that our message be clear. It's so important that we don't dilute the gospel. You know, the gospel is a tough a tough sell. It's a hard message to hear. You know, it's not, the gospel is not, oh, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is not the gospel. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people are saying is the gospel, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is basically you understanding, first of all, that you're a sinner. I mean, that's not a popular thing. I mean, I don't have people running up to me every day saying, hey, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Will you help me? That never happens. As a matter of fact, sometimes when I tell people, you know what? I need you to understand that you're a sinner. Well, no, wait a minute. Wait. You got me confused with my brother George or my brother Ralph or whatever. I'm not me. You know, I'm, I'm good. In comparison to who? How good do you have to be? The Bible tells us how good you have to be. Jesus says, okay, you want to talk about being good? Well, then be perfect as my Father's in heaven is perfect. Got any takers? Anybody here perfect? Perfect. No. See, the message of the gospel is that we're all fallen. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that, you know what? The good news is that Jesus has provided a way out of this mess. That he has provided through his work on Calvary, his death, his resurrection. He provided an answer. He provided payment for our sin, as we've sung about this morning. But we get this message sometimes confused. So the gospel is, you know what? You are a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. Are you willing to submit to him? Are you willing to come to him and to say, you know what, Lord? I don't know where else to go. I don't know what else to do. 
The Bible says that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I guess all means all. That includes me. And it says that judgment awaits for those who are sinners. So how do I fix this? Well, God has provided a way out through a Savior. And we, today we confuse that message of the gospel so many times. We get it all mixed up. You know, the message of the gospel is this. And you see, go to the next slide. And here's basically what we do to it. You can't even see Christ in there anymore. You know, we, we take the message that is so clear in Scripture and we confuse it with all these other things. And we need to get back and we need to stay committed to the message that Jesus has given us. It's a very clear message. Our message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it's available through Christ. And it's available to every person Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand our own divine commissioning by you. That you would make sure that our objective personally is clear and central. And that we have our message and that we don't muddy it up with a bunch of stuff that's not from your word. I pray for anyone here this morning who has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ. I pray that you would do that work as only you can in their heart. I pray that you would show them your grace, your mercy, your love in a way that they have never experienced before. Father, that they would truly become undone in and of themselves to realize that there's, there's no way out of this mess other than through the cross of Christ. And Lord, that you require us You command us to follow you and to obey you. That's not an option that we kind of tag on at the end. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow those hearts that need to cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to embrace Christ. I pray that they would do that even this morning in the quietness of this moment. For us who have come to Christ, we know that we're his child. We know that we're forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to us what our objective is, what our commission is, what our message is. And that we, when we leave this building, that we would understand that there's a purpose in us coming here on Sunday. It's not just to hear a nice song and hear a message and get pumped up, but it's, it's to take something out of here to a lost and dying world that can literally transform their lives and save them through the message of the gospel. And I pray that that would become a burden, that would be a a burden on our hearts as a church, that we wouldn't grow cold and comfortable here just to come and sit in church. But Lord, that we would start asking questions, what are we doing in our, our community? How are we transforming? How are you using this church to transform this community? And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us to that end. 
We thank you this morning. We pray that you would bless our time of fellowship over in the fellowship hall. Bless the food of our bodies. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll close with a song.